0: That was, some, that was awesome. Uh, can we give it up for Pastor Matt and that worship? Thank you, brother. That was, that was, that was awesome. I felt like I was doing cardio or something. Yeah, or, you know, I'm just sweating, you know. It's okay. Uh, if y'all don't know me already, well, Pastor Matt kind of introduced me. Uh, my name is Nolan. Um, I know I don't look like Pastor Mike. Uh, I'm actually the upgraded and uh, much, much younger version. I'm just, playing, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's a joke, it's a joke. Uh, He's actually preaching down at Lake Blackshear Baptist in South Georgia, as uh, Pastor Matt said again. I'm going into my junior year at Truett McConnell University. I'm a global studies major, so don't really have a real major. That's another joke. It's a real major. It's like basically a missions major. Um, And and, uh, this upcoming fall semester, I will be in Trento, Italy. Um, uh, We are partnering, my team and I are partnering with the local church there to do ministry geared towards the students at the university in Trento and uh, young adults so that age that age group so i ask please please pray for uh, boldness for my team and i first of all that we would love these people enough to be honest with them and share the good news of jesus christ with them pray that their hearts would be open and receptive to the gospel message pray that the father would draw those whom he wills unto himself because as we know Salvation belongs to the Lord, and we are just vessels. Now, if y'all would please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7, and we will begin at verse 7. And when you have it, please stand with me in the honoring of the reading of the Word of God. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, For sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. May God bless the reading of his word, and y'all may be seated. Now, I was reading out of the ESV. Now, just a, little, just a little context and background info first. We know that Paul is the author of Romans, um, and we learn that he wrote this letter while he was in Corinth on his way to Jerusalem. And this was in spring of AD 57 um, to deliver an offering from the Gentile churches to poor Jewish Christians. Paul wrote 13 of the 21 letters uh, contained in the New Testament, and Romans is the longest out of the letters. In the previous chapter, chapter six of the letter, Paul is speaking about walking in this newness of life because we have been buried with Jesus in baptism. And just as the Father raised him from the dead, we may walk in that newness as well. Paul also speaks on how we were slaves to sin, but now we are slaves to God. Or the Greek word used there is doulos. It's actually, it's actually on my arm right there, my tattoo. Just thought that was cool. <laughs> doulos, which can also mean bondservant. We are slaves to Christ. We, we, our life is not our own. We were bought with a price. We don't just get to do whatever we want. We are to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. We then move on to the first six verses of chapter 7. So chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, where Paul is giving an illustration using marriage. Paul clearly knows who his audience is because he states, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, and that's in verse 1. He uses the illustration of marriage because unless the husband or wife dies, they are not released from the law of marriage, just like the law rules over someone as long as they live. Paul states, we have been released from the law because we were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ so that we may belong to another. Moving on to verses 7 through 13, Paul has already established that the law is unable to save, it cannot sanctify, and it can no longer condemn a believer. He is now establishing that the law can convict both believers and unbelievers of sin in verses 7 through 13. Paul poses the question, what should we say then, is the law sin? He most likely posed this question because the recipients of this letter were probably thinking things like, is the law bad then, or what is the point of the law then? Things along those lines. I find myself asking these very questions, these questions when I read the scriptures. I'm like, God, what? I don't understand. Why would God give his chosen people a law that is impossible for them to keep, Right. The purpose of this was to reveal the standard of righteousness by which believers are to live, but also it was to show how sinful they really were when measured against the law. In the MacArthur New Testament commentary on Romans 1 through 8, MacArthur states, the law was not given to show men how good they could be, but how good they could not be. James chapter 2 verse 10 states, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. And that's out of the ESV. I've heard pastors say things like, the law doesn't matter. There's no point in the law. Or I've even heard stuff like, God broke the law for love. And when you hear that, it's like, like oh, man, like, that kind of sounds good. But actually, that, it's very heretical. It's very heretical. <laughs> I've heard all of it. The law clearly had a purpose, and if anything, revealed the radical depravity of man. Christ came and fulfilled the law. God didn't, God didn't break the law. Christ came and fulfilled the law. It was not broken by God, and to say so is blasphemous. Man would not have come to know sin and see their own sinfulness if it were not for the law again. John MacArthur in his, in his same commentary states, <clears throat> the axiom of Paul's argument here is that apart from the law, sin is dead. It is, that, it is not that sin has no existence. It is not that um, sin has no existence apart from the law because before the law even came, sin, was, sin came before that because of the fall of Adam and Eve. Paul's point in Romans 7 verse 8 is that sin, in the sense, sin is dead in the sense that it is somewhat dormant and not fully active. It does not overwhelm the sinner as it does when the law becomes known. The law doesn't only reveal sin to a believer but it also destroys the believer. I know that sounds like, oh, 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 but I'll explain it here. Paul reveals that he had been alive. Apart from the law, he was a highly trained and zealous Pharisee. He most definitely knew the law. In fact, he was an expert on it and considered himself blameless and that he was living a life that pleased God, and that is found in Philippians chapter 3, verse 6. But when he truly understood the commandment, He began to see his true sinful self and how he fell short. His sin became alive to him, and he died in the sense of all of his religious accomplishments. Um, We see in Ephesians 2 how we are spiritually dead, and Christ is the only one that can make us alive in him. After Paul shows that the law is is not evil, he states that the law is actually holy, righteous, and good, we then move on to verse 13, where Paul poses another question. Is the law that is good bring, de- uh, bring death then? Paul answers firmly with, by no means, or in some other translations, absolutely not. It is sin itself that brings death, but again, it is through the law that sin is revealed. We move on to verses 14 through 25, this back end of it. Um, Let me read 14. I'm going to read 14 through 20 again. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. There's been debate, first of all, there's been debate whether Paul is speaking about his personal life, or if he's speaking about an unbeliever, or if he's speaking about a not-so-spiritual believer in this, or... It's just a a spiritual believer going through spiritual warfare. And again, whether it was even about Paul's personal life or not. And if it was about Paul's personal life, people argue, is this pre-conversion Paul? Or is this like him at present tense going through spiritual warfare? Um, Most of the commentators I read think that Paul is speaking about his own life and that it, it is his present one too. He's speaking on the spiritual warfare he faces, and I hold to this view as well, because after researching and everything, beginning in verse 14, Paul uses the present tense to describe himself not the past tense. In verses seven through 13, we see Paul speaking about sin, deceiving and destroying him, but in verses 14 through 25, that shifts into a determined battle against sin that is an enemy, but no longer his master. I really wanna hone in on uh, verses 18 through 20. Paul is saying that he knows that his flesh is evil and that nothing besides the Holy Spirit, good dwells within him. Jeremiah 17, 9 states, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The world will tell you to follow your heart and do the things that feel good and, and, and everything like that. I mean, I'm basically calling out Disney here. I me, mean, basically. But, but, God's, but God's word says the opposite. We cannot rely on our emotions and our flesh because we are fallible and we are all wretched human beings in need of Christ. We are absolutely nothing without Christ. Nothing. Man, what Paul says in verse 19, I relate to that so much, and I'm sure y'all can too. I mean, I've, I've found myself in my life before just habitually sinning. Um, you know how it is. You, you ask the Lord for forgiveness, and then you turn your back, and you do the exact same thing. I mean, it, it's frustrating. It, it really is. I found myself being so frustrated with my own sin that it basically paralyzed me. And I'm like, man, like, I can't serve the Lord. I can't, I can't do anything. I would beat myself up so much and get in this rut of feeling sorry for myself. But in this, I learned to totally depend on the Lord, and I'm still learning. It's still a learning process. We have to depend on him because of our radical depravity. We have absolutely no, no good in us apart from him. And I see this on days where I'm just like, you know, I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that, you know, because I don't feel like it. Like, how, how dare I, you know? The Lord is holy, and the only reason why we desire holiness is because of the Holy Spirit in us. But apart from that, we would never choose holiness Because at the end of the day, we are wretched human beings, like I said. Verse 20, it is sin in Paul that wants him to do what he does not want. Because of the Holy Spirit, Paul does not truly want that, but his flesh does. And is the exact same case for us. In verse 24, Paul calls himself a wretched man, and we too are the same. As I said before, we are wretched sinners in need of Christ. He then asks the question, who will deliver me from this body of death? And the answer to that question in verse 25 is the hope that we have and the same hope that Paul had. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is our ultimate ultimate hope. Just like the song said, in Christ alone. That that is our only hope. Um, I love the transition between chapter 7 into chapter 8 because right after verse 25 wraps up and right after Paul speaks on this spiritual warfare that is very difficult to face he states in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus it's a verse we love here that transformation <laughs> I just I love that um, it's about that dependency on the Lord it's just it's just beautiful to me I just love that uh, we are a new creation in Him, and we do not have to walk in that sin. A lot of the times in my life, I've found myself like, man, like I can't, I can't uh, like go to that party. I can't, I can't drink that certain beverage. Like, I can't, I can't hang with these people. Like, it's like, man, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. But it's no, I get to not live in that. I'm free from that. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, we are that new creation, and we don't have to walk in that. Others are spiritually dead, but w- the fact that we are spiritually alive to that is, is, is so beautiful to me and just shows the grace and mercy that our Lord has for us. This is our hope, ladies and gentlemen. We are not slaves to sin, but slaves to Christ. We are bought with a price. We are not our own. And we do not have to get in these ruts in our life and just become paralyzed and be like, oh, man, like, like I said before, I can't I can't do anything. Like, I'm so awful. I'm so awful. And like the enemy will be like, man, like you're you are awful. And I'm like, man, I mean, you're right. I've always been awful. I'm I'm a sinner. But but guess what? I I have Christ. That is our hope. And it's in Christ alone. Let's pray.